0: are entering the Freedom Hut.
1: Not one but two senior Democrat politicians in the state of Virginia in a lot of hot water, and it looks like the media is running cover for them. We'll talk about that. And also, the fight for capitalism in this country is very much on the front lines of the Democrat versus Republican battle, We'll talk about how we should think about that and much more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This This is The Buck Sexton Sexton Show.
0: Where the mission mission is to decode what really matters. With actionable intelligence.
1: One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Ready. You're a great American again.
0: The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst.
2: Former member of the NYPD. Buck
1: Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show everybody. Man, we have a lot of stuff to talk about today. Whew. Man, getting it getting it kicked off here on this on this Monday. Oh man, I'm in a good mood too cuz it's it just felt like after the deep freeze last week. I don't even know. John, what was the temperature like on the East Coast? What was it like the is in the 40s maybe? It felt like felt like today a dead, it was in the 50s. In the 50s? Felt yeah. like spring. I could have busted out my man, I mean, it was, it felt warm today. It felt warm. It was, it was good stuff. Uh, good, or my, my speedo, as some people would refer to it. That's. so I got one, I got one somewhere in the closet. Don't, you know, hey, it's I know, John. I should probably put a, I should probably get a grip. All right. Uh, we get the, the big things today are, you know, there's the, the news, the news aspect of this, and then there's, the philosophical. The news aspect of today's show, we, we got a bunch of things to get to. Obviously, continued negotiations over the wall. Uh, and, but more than anything else, you have, and the aftermath of the Super Bowl, some of the commercials. I'm not going to waste your time giving you, I think Tom Brady's the greatest of all. T-. Yeah, you don't care what I think about that. So we'll skip right over that. The news that matters to us, news and politics and national media discussion, has to do with this just massive and growing toxic dumpster fire of virginia politics right now or the virginia democratic party where you have a one-two punch going they're going after the uh governor for what is clearly racist stuff that he's lying about i mean when i say they i'm not just talking about Republicans, everybody you got democrats Schumer, Pelosi, there's a whole slew of them. Uh, Kirsten Gillibrand, I mean, all these different prominent Democrats are saying that Northam needs to resign after his, and we'll get into some of the details of it, but his apology, and then, oh, I don't know if I'm apologizing, I'm not sure it was me. I, I did blackface another time, not that time. The guy almost busted out into a moonwalk during a press conference over the weekend. It was, man, I was trying to, trying to, uh, Distance myself from the news cycle of the weekend. I mean, it was a hard thing to do because the Northam situation was just a mess, a mess. And this, guy's, this guy is a farce, but he's still the governor. And then you get this same website, Big League Politics, that broke the story about Northam, which has been verified and and is true. That same website now is... Uh, has run with this story about a a sexual assault allegation against the lieutenant governor of the state of Virginia. Uh, So the person that's supposed to take over for Northam, uh, if Northam does step down, which I I don't think Northam's stepping down. I mean, I should probably be checking during the course of the show because it it feels like it could happen at any moment. It's amazing how little people are really... uh, Focused on the fact there's a State of the Union tomorrow. I, I don't think the State of the Union is all that is all that interesting to preview. I mean, we'll talk about what the president says. It's going to be a big separation on the issue of immigration between Democrats and Republicans. We know that, so okay, we'll get into that for sure. But man, it's it's a rough time for some of these Democrats going on because the there's no way around this. I mean, they they have only two options: lose. The governorship and possibly the lieutenant governorship from Democrat control in Virginia, a critical state for 2020, um, and on all that that would mean for that state, right? A lot of people that maybe voted for Northam because he seemed like he was a reasonable guy, they're going to change their minds. Or they might change their minds, at least. You know, that possibility. Um, it's, a, it's a bad time right now for the Democratic Party in Virginia, no question. So we'll get into some of those. Some of those details, because it was just stunning over the weekend. The the most bizarre apology and then walk back and then non-apology and just scrambling. I mean, Northam is at the the phase of this whole thing where I'm just waiting for him to say that hackers went back in time with a time machine and, and changed his yearbook page from Eastern Virginia Medical University so that it would have this really racist stuff. I mean, a person dressed in a KKK costume and a person in blackface uh, next to them. And we all know that Northam is the guy in the blackface and that he's saying that he's not, but he did blackface another time. It's just, this is bizarre. But Democrats always collapse into this kind of incoherence because they only want to weaponize these things against Republicans. They want these standards that will be useful for shutting down or shouting down the opposition, but they don't want to have to live under those standards themselves. We will certainly talk about about where that is. But I, I think there's a bigger philosophical and policy question that we need to address right now on the show, and we're going to continue to address it, and that is the increasingly... Uh, favorable attitude that a lot of people are showing toward the idea of taxing the very, very rich at a very high percentage. I saw this. I mean, this is really the the Democrats' war on capitalism. Okay, That's what is shaping up right now in a way that I think is surprising for some Democrats. I mean, I do think that there are Democrats who see this happening and they think, "I I didn't realize my party was so radical in its redistributionist ideology. I didn't realize the Democratic Party was so willing to engage in the politics of envy and and going to these kinds of lengths to make it seem like anybody who has been really, really, really successful is somehow the enemy. You know, as though you would be better able to afford your house if only some of these great businessmen um weren't quite so wealthy you know you you would be able to afford your groceries if Jeff Bezos and Howard Schultz and Michael Bloomberg and you name it if they weren't so rich this is a falsehood and this is at the core of the left-wing fantasy that the government can tackle these problems of inequality on a moral on a moral ground without it having negative impacts that will be very palpable to all the rest of us all right, so the democrat war on capitalism though is is gaining steam here because now remember you know there's no such thing as perfect capitalism there's no such thing as perfect socialism either so people will say oh book they're not they're not opposed to capitalism they like this or they like that okay show me a socialist country where there haven't been big businesses where there haven't been uh people that were benefiting financially you know there, there's always Class stratification in every society. There's no such thing as a classless society. It has never existed. And there's never been a program of redistribution of wealth that has made everybody super well off and super wealthy. There, you know, there's this does not exist. Eliminating class structure is not a thing you can achieve. The best you can have is a wealthy society where individuals have the ability to help other people based on their own initiative, based on their own community and, you know, whatever your church wants to do, whatever organizations you belong to want to help people. And everyone also has the ability to pull themselves up. You can make choices. You show up, you work, you pull yourself up and you can advance. That doesn't mean we all get to be billionaires. And I think part of the problem is one of expectations. We see this incredible wealth of the Zuckerbergs and the, uh, the Bezoses and, and the Buffets and all these different people that are so, so rich. We see this and we think, well, if I can't have that, something must be wrong. Or if I can't at least have whatever I want and those people can have that, something must be wrong. And that's how you get this polling that says 76% of registered voters, voters according to Politico, believe that the wealthiest Americans should pay more in taxes. 70% of Americans, according to a Fox News poll, favor raising taxes on those earning over $10 million. That includes 54% of Republicans. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has said that she wants to slap a 70% marginal rate on income earned over $10 million. That has 59% support in a recent Hill-Harris X poll. The Hill, like where I work, that's our, that's our poll. Politico poll found that 61% favor a wealth tax like the one that Elizabeth Warren is talking about will be a 2% tax on those with a net worth over $50 million, 3% tax on those over a billion dollars. Wealth, not income. Uh, this is going to lead us down a very, a very destructive path if we don't put a halt to it right now. I'm not saying that these people can't afford To to pay these uh, pay these rates, of course they can. But you are talking about government confiscation of private property under the guise of what feels right to some radical left wingers. It feels fair. Feels right. Keep in mind that money has already been taxed. Those assets have already been through the process. The the acquisition of of those access uh, of those assets required taxable income to be there in the first place. Uh, And life isn't fair, and I don't pretend to tell you that it's fair. But maybe if the left had a better understanding of why capitalism is so incredible, what it is about capitalism that is so special, they would be less willing to start to take an axe to the base of it and just sort of see what happens. Because when the government can start to have a 2% wealth tax on people over 50 million or a 3% over a billion, guess what? The government could also put a wealth tax in place on people over a million. How many of you have families that, you know, own property somewhere or maybe you even have a family farm? Guess what? Your acreage alone might be worth over a million dollars. How does that get how does that get assessed? We already have people paying taxes on land that they live on, that they own. That is indicative not of an ownership society, but of a renting of your property from the government via property taxes. You don't really, in a lot of places, own your house, even if you don't owe any money to the bank. You rent it from the government. This is something that we all need to understand if we're going to get closer to the truth here. But there are reasons why capitalism is so special. Yes, there's the first... The first thing that comes to mind is how much wealthier this country, yes, including the poor in this country, including the middle class in this country, how much wealthier they are in real terms now than they would have been 50 years ago. And what you have access to in terms of food and healthcare and transportation and travel now as a middle class American as opposed to 50 years ago. And when you look at it on a global scale, then it is truly stunning. The amount of misery and despair and poverty that has been alleviated specifically because of free market capitalism and its principles applied imperfectly, but applied around the world in many, many places. And us here, the United States at the vanguard of that effort, the amount of people that have been brought out of poverty by it and the amount of productivity and joy and leisure and health that has been derived from this process of allowing individual choice in the marketplace and individual decisions and ingenuity and innovation, it's on a scale that we can barely fathom. I want to talk a little bit about why this is. I mean, I, I have some ideas about what it is that the left does not understand or does not care to understand about capitalism and, and why this, these principles are so important right now. Yes, we have this alpha capitalist president in Trump, but we need to articulate the points so that when this fight continues, because this is a fight for the economic and with the political future of this country, we are well-equipped to win. We'll also talk about Nancy Pelosi and the wall and the negotiations over that. I got more thoughts on the border. You know I get excited about talking the border. Uh, and then we'll step into this Northam-Fairfax fiasco as it continues to... Uh, unfold we will have this is really this is really gonna be interesting we will have in the second hour of the show the lieutenant governor who ran with gillespie uh, lieutenant governor um, bishop is going to be joining us to talk about or he would have been pardon me would have been lieutenant governor to talk about what it was like to run against gillespie what i mean sorry run with gillespie against northam what kind of man we're talking about here he's going to give you his view of what's really going on with these two virginia politicians from the democrat side so You will want to stick around for that, and we will be right back. By now, most of us have started racking our brains about what Valentine's gift is going to make her day special. Well, stop worrying about it. I got the answer for you. With 1-800-Flowers.com, it's really not that complicated. Roses from 1-800-Flowers are a no-brainer. And right now, when you order early, you can get the 18-stem Enchanted Rose Medley for $29.99 or double it to the 36-stem Enchanted Roses for $20 more. This is an unbelievable offer from 1-800-Flowers. The 18-stem Enchanted Rose Medley for $29.99 or double the roses for $20 more. Roses from 1-800-Flowers are picked at their peak and shipped overnight to ensure freshness. Pick your delivery date and let 1-800-Flowers handle the rest. When it comes to Valentine's, I don't settle for anything less than my rose authority, 1-800-Flowers.com. To order the 18-stem enchanted rose medley for twenty nine ninety nine dollars w roses for 20 bucks more, go to 1-800-Flowers.com slash buck. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash buck.
3: I stand by my statement of apology to the many Virginians who were hurt by seeing this content on a yearbook page that belongs to me. It is disgusting. It is offensive. It is racist. And it was my responsibility to recognize and prevent it from being published in the first place. I recognize that many people will find this difficult to believe. I think
1: people find it difficult to believe that this guy thinks that he can say these things and anyone's going to believe him. What a pile of nonsense. And there's a better word for it, but I can't use it on the radio. You have got to be kidding me. This guy walked back his apology of his of his own yearbook page. Now, I, I will tell you that anyone who's ever posed for a photograph, if shown the photograph, can look at it and say, yeah, that's me, or no, that's not me. Maybe if you're taken by, you know, if if somebody photographed you and you didn't know it, you know, maybe in certain lighting. No, but but if you stood there and you know, big smile on your face, this is a photo of me. I don't care who you are, you know it's you. This is completely not credible that he's that it's not him in the photo now. It's just not credible. And, and no person should be even asked to believe him. But it is better you see for him to to try to live this lie than to be honest and truthful, because if he's honest, he's not going to be able to weather this political storm. His his governorship is toast. Where's the media on this? Oh, they're trying. They're trying to run all the interference for him that they can and come up with some way, some way to uh, allow him to stay. Uh, By the way, he also said that he had previously worn black a uh, blackface just not this time play clip eight
3: what's his name Michael Jackson excuse me that's why I have Pam with me um I had uh, the shoes I had a, a glove uh and I used just a little bit of shoe polish to put under my or on my cheeks and the reason I used a very little bit is because I don't know if anybody's ever tried that but you cannot get shoe polish off I want to be honest with people and uh, again as I said earlier, I discussed this with uh, a person of color. He let me know why this was offensive. I apologized to him, uh, and I will never do it again.
1: The guy is talking about the best the, the, the best practices for when he did previously put himself in blackface. He's saying, "You know, it's hard to get it off, so I didn't use too much." I mean, Megan Kelly lost her job at NBC for talking about blackface, you didn't even do anything. We we got we got to hold the left's feet to the fire here because they've created this fire. I'm sorry, we we cannot let them do this nonsense where we all get crushed and they get to live to fight another day. When it comes to these uh, these moments of of outrage, I mean, this guy, if he stays, then you know nothing has any meaning anymore.
3: You had quite the showdown with Speaker Pelosi. What did you learn about negotiating with her?
2: Well, I think that uh, she was very rigid, which I would expect, but I think she is very bad for our country. Uh, she knows that you need a barrier. She knows that we need border security. She wanted to win a political point. I happen to think it's very bad politics because basically she wants open borders. She doesn't mind human trafficking or she wouldn't do this. She's costing the country hundreds of billions of dollars because what's happening is when you have a porous border and when you have drugs pouring in and when you have people dying all over the country because of people like Nancy Pelosi who don't want to give proper border security for political reasons, she's doing a terrible disservice to our country.
1: I think Trump is obviously correct when he says that nancy pelosi's doing a disservice to the country but i also think that he gets closer to the truth than a lot of other republicans when they talk about this because he knows that she knows that what she's doing is actually bad for the country but she doesn't care the democrats know they're lying to you about the border they just don't care Democrats know that they're being duplicitous about negotiations for a wall. They said, open up the government and then we'll talk. The government was opened. No talking worthy of the name. These are not surprises. We know who we're dealing with on the other side. Trump certainly knows who we are dealing with on the other side. But specifically uh, on the issue of the Democrats pushing things that they know are bad for the country, I think enough Democrats have some. Understanding of what the ramifications of some of the economic policies they're pushing would be, but they simply don't care. They know that it is an emotional touch point for their base, it is a way to mobilize people. We all have disappointments, we all have our resentments. There are things that bother us about the way that our day to day goes or how things are happening in there, what's going on in the country. And coming up with a narrative that allows the blame to be placed on the other is very potent. This is powerful. And to do this through the prism of class warfare is increasingly going to to be the central mantra you you see from the Democrats. This is what they're going to do. It's all about the, the big, rich, fat cats. It'll be kind of a retread of what you heard during the Occupy Wall Street era. But remember, Occupy Wall Street fizzled and it didn't just fizzle because it was a bunch of pseudo hippies with iPads playing in drum circles fizzled because Barack Obama was president during that couldn't get the hardcore left that upset with as leftist a president as Barack Obama in charge but now things are different now you have an ultra capitalist of sorts in President Trump in office and that means that the agitation and the community organizing from the left is much more likely to succeed here. Which then just brings me to what, what what I think is an important component of this discussion on capitalism that you probably won't hear elsewhere and it doesn't get nearly enough attention. When we think of the successes of capitalism today, the kind of stuff that Ocasio-Cortez will point to, we look at these... Internet era mega companies, Facebook and Amazon and Google and uh, many others. And we understand that there is a big upside in terms of convenience and connectivity and communication that they bring to us. There are also some downsides. I increasingly think that social media is probably, you know, an even split as to whether it's really good for us in the end or not, uh, good for society or not. But if you want to understand what is so incredible about the system that we have, think in smaller and simpler terms. Think more about the Walmart effect on this country or the IKEA effect in this country as a result of free markets and capitalism and individual innovation that you can go into a store. I mean, here's, here's one example for me. I got a beard trimmer today. I got a beard trimmer for about 40 bucks. Now people always put down the cheap products that we get from overseas and how that's not going to make, you know, there's this whole mentality on the right of that's not going to make you happy. That's not going to make you fulfilled. Oh yeah. Okay, fine. No one's saying that my beard trimmer is an existential issue, but I now have my beard trimmer. I know that it's going to work. I mean, of course there is always going to be some product defects, but, it never really crosses my mind that this thing that I'm opening up isn't, isn't going to work. I know it'll work for a long time. I know that the different pieces and components of that beard trimmer have been put together by people who specialize in doing just that. They think about how do I build the best beard trimmer? What does the guard so I don't cut myself in? You know, how does that work? Who comes up with the battery? What size should the battery be? How expensive should the battery be that goes into this? Because that's going to be affected on the overall price. We are surrounded. And the the, the point that I'm really trying to make here is that we are surrounded by miracles of capitalism, large and small. This is astonishing that you can walk into the store and buy all the things that you can buy and know that they're not going to make you sick. They're going to do what they say they're going to do. It's going to be the same product over and over again that there are people who are building better ones all the time? You know, we we take some of this for granted now. Just the notion of building a better mousetrap, you know, that's just a cliche, right? I'll tell you something. Everything that you are interacting with in your day-to-day life is affected by capitalism for the better. Whether it's the ability to buy furniture, I mean, you, you can now set up a set up a home comfortably. On a budget that even 20 or 30 years ago, you know, could probably get you a bed. I mean, you have seen such an explosion of productivity. We all have. And it's because of specialization, innovation, and the micro-corrections that are only possible when people are self in, uh, self-interested, when they actually benefit from making changes to make little things better. You know, remember it's all, all the stuff you hear about. You know, the devils in the details. You know, be a details guy. It's the details that count. We see a computer. We see a. Uh, I have a Mac laptop sitting in front of me right now. It's it's incredible. I mean, it's more computing power than the entire, you know, NATO alliance would have had in 1950. You know, it's more than we had when we went to the moon. I'm sitting right with it right in front of me. But don't think of it just as Apple is this genius company that's worth uh, close to a trillion dollars now. And think of it in All the people that worked on this screen, all the man hours that went into this keyboard that that works, it works, it functions. If you want an appreciation for how capitalism has made your life better and why the redistribution of wealth and the removal of micro-corrections in processes, the removal of incentives for innovation, because remember, innovation is also about risk. Innovation is to do something that may fail, You're not going to do things that will fail if you feel like there's nothing in it for you. See, capitalism harnesses what is true of human nature and creates a system that produces benefits for everyone without trying to negate that basic trait of human nature. It's brilliant. It's not perfect. Nothing is perfect, right? Democracy is brilliant. It's not perfect. Nothing is perfect. But the Democrats don't even really, the ones that are talking in this way, the ones that are taking this radical left attitude about you didn't build that. Obama voiced this too. You didn't build that. Obama had never built anything. He built the cult of Obama. Didn't understand how to run, run a business. Didn't understand how to produce or create a product other than himself. He was the product. He was a politician. And Now he's you know, going to be worth $100 million if he's not already by being the product. But the rest of us, can't do that and by the way the rest of us don't really benefit very much from that you are surrounded every day by the miracles of capitalism so much so that it's hard for us even me as i sit here and talk to you in this microphone that cost a couple of hundred bucks that is world-class i mean crystal clear right And my computer that i've had the same computer now for five or six years Never broken down on me. I use this thing every day. This is my, my my life's blood in terms of my work is in this computer. It never breaks down on me. Knock on wood. You know, I'm I'm gonna go into a refrigerator full of food that is shipped to me in timely fashion mean, in timely fashion. It's not spoiled. It's gonna taste the way I want it to taste. These these are all the miracles of capitalism. Life was not this way before. Life involved everything you eat. Hopefully it's okay. Maybe a little bit of risk to it, though. Every product you buy, you know, buyer beware. You got to hope that maybe you get lucky this time around. Trust in the craftsmanship of the individual making it. Just think of what you do. I, I don't know if you have quite the same amount of panic as I do when this happens. But think about how when your phone goes dead. My phone's gone dead a few times for different reasons. When your phone goes dead, you feel like you are Tom Hanks in the movie Castaway all of a sudden, and your only friend is the volleyball named Wilson. You know, you just are out there with nothing. And that's because we're all so used to things around us working and being efficient, being effective. And there's a real human benefit to this. I have to spend less time worrying about these things because other people worry about them for me because they benefit from them working. You know, this, you get into the fundamentals of why the system works as well as it does, and Democrats are spitting on it. Not all of them, not all of them, but even the Pelosi's of the world who have benefited enormously from the very system I'm talking to you about. Pelosi's a very wealthy woman, married a very rich guy, but very wealthy woman. They're allowing this rhetoric of the Warrens and the Ocasio-Cortezes to overtake the truth In this situation, which is that the more individuals are incentivized with clearly defined rules and laws around them, sure. But the more individuals are incentivized to pursue specialization and excellence in everything they do, the better off we all will be as a society. Excellence, by the way, is possible in everything. Excellence is possible in high tech products that will change the world. It's possible in how you make a cheeseburger every day for customers. It's possible in how you open a door, how you drive the truck that you're in right now that delivers necessary goods to people all across the country. Excellence is possible for all of us in everything that we do, and capitalism tries to bring that out and celebrate it in all of us, which is why it is such a magnificent system that has produced so much benefit around the world. And we have seen the other side of this coin. We know what happens. We have the history to prove it. When you rely on an elite of all-knowing, whether they're revolutionaries or technocrats or whatever you want to call them, to make these determinations for us, we only need one kind of soap. We only need one kind of shoe. This is the best shoe, and we'll make it the best way, but nobody else should be making shoes. We'll do it for you, and we'll give it to you for free. We know what happens. The shoes stink. Well, not necessarily literally, but the shoes are not good. And there's not enough of them to go around anyway. It's basic human nature. And we're talking about the building blocks of our society here. And I just wish Democrats would stop playing games with something that has meant so much to human beings around the world for the last hundred years. We'll be right back.
2: He should step down and, and start his road to redemption. Being governor of a state is not an entitlement. What is clear is... It's time for Governor Ralph Northam to step aside.
0: I think that um, the governor should resign. I think he's shown himself sort of um, damaged in terms of his ability to govern. Governor Northam is a man without a party. After his disastrous press conference, he has no credibility and no ability to lead.
2: Once that picture where the blackface and the Klansmen came out, there is no way you can continue to be the governor of the Commonwealth of Virginia.
3: He cannot serve. It's time for him to resign. He should resign. So disturbing, so racist.
1: Hasn't resigned yet. Northam's still governor of Virginia. John, what do you think, man? You think he's going to resign? He has to. He has he to. He has to, right? I mean, how? How? Well, what's he hanging on for then? I, maybe it's to give a little more time for the lieutenant governor to get some stuff in order here, but... He's got all these people coming out saying that he needs to resign. It's the, the whole thing is just amazing. But did, did we play the thing where he said that he might actually have where, where he made it seem that he might be willing to moonwalk? Did we already play that? This is amazing, guys. So he's at this he's at this press conference, which was a just an, an epic fail of a press conference. I don't know how else to say it. I mean, it was just as bad of a press conference as you'll see anywhere, anytime involving a politician. Um, you know, he says that it's not him in the photo when it clearly is him in the photo. I mean, this guy is, he's lying. I mean, he you know, he's OJ looking for the real killers at this point. This just makes no sense. Why is anyone going to believe this guy? But as if that wasn't bad enough, he raised the idea because he said that he had used shoe polish to do blackface to play Michael Jackson in a dance contest. I mean which just the details here are wow. Uh, he raised the possibility this is the governor of Virginia folks, an important state. This is the governor, okay? The guys the, the top of the of the executive hierarchy for that state. And here's what he said play clip nine. In San Antonio was a dance yes. And it was the you dance the
3: That's right. You still able to moonwalk? Uh, inappropriate circumstances. My wife says inappropriate circumstances.
1: So you had a reporter there. If you could see the video, it's a little clearer. But I'll just talk you through it quickly. You had a reporter there who said, "Can you still moonwalk?" And Northam is like, "Well," uh, and he kind of like makes it like maybe he's about to do it, and then his wife, who's next to him. She's obviously going through a rough ordeal here. She's like, no, 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 inappropriate circumstances. as in don't, woo- don't moonwalk right now, you moron. What are you thinking? That's what we, that's what we've come to here with this guy. In all these Democrats that I think of who voted for Northam over Gillespie because Northam was the, you know, the, the sound choice, the reasonable choice, the not racist choice. How does that feel now? That didn't age very well as the kids say. Or just as people say, <laughs> that did not age well at all. We got the lieutenant governor who would be Lieutenant Governor who ran with Gillespie joining us here in in just a moment. I mean, I think you really need to hear from him about what it was like to run against Northam and to run against Fairfax and how those guys played the game and how dirty they fought. I mean he wouldn't even shake he wouldn't even shake his hand. We'll come back. We'll talk more. A lot of people have heard of the AARP, and you might even be a member, but did you know the AARP is a lefty organization when it comes to seniors pushing progressive policies, stuff that you don't like? So do you want to belong to the MSNBC of senior organizations? How about you get with the real stuff Join AMAC. Why AMAC? Well, AMAC was founded by an Air Force veteran, and it's all about sharing the values of its members as well as bringing value to its members through discounts on car insurance, hotels and roadside assistance. So this is the conservative alternative to AARP. Join AMAC. That's A-M-A-C. I stand with AMAC. You should too. They're fighting the good fight. Become a member today. The benefits are great, but the cause is even greater. Tell your family and tell your friends. Join right now at amac.us slash buck. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S slash buck.
3: AMAC is better for you and better for America. My fellow Virginians, earlier today, I released a statement, apologizing for behavior in my past that falls far short of the standard you set for me when you elected me to be your governor. I believe you deserve to hear directly from me. That photo and the racist and offensive attitudes it represents does not reflect that person I am today or the way that I have conducted myself as a soldier, a doctor, and a public servant. I am deeply sorry. I cannot change the decisions I made nor can I undo the harm my behavior caused then and today. But I accept responsibility for my past actions, and I am ready to do the hard work of regaining your trust.
1: So there you have Governor Virginia, Democrat, despite CNN listing him as a Republican when this first broke. Interesting. Uh, you have Governor Northam talking about this uh, photo-in-the-year book that, uh, that came up from 1984 from uh, a medical school in Virginia that he attended, originally he apologized. Then he said he wasn't sure that it was him in the photo. Now he says he's not in the photo, but he did blackface another time. It's just nonsense. I mean, this is crazy stuff that we're seeing from the Democrats in a desperate scramble to maintain the governorship of a very important state. Well, I want to bring on somebody who can shed a a particular light on what's going on in Virginia and Virginia politics and and knows some of these players personally. We are joined now by Bishop E.W. Jackson. He is with us now. He was the GOP nominee for lieutenant governor in Virginia, and he can tell us a bit about his own experiences and his thoughts on this whole matter. Uh, Bishop Jackson, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right, so first off, I want to ask you, I mean, is this at all um, a a surprise to you that this has come out about Northam? I mean, I can can go back pretty easily and see that Northam was running some very incendiary ads uh, and and very clearly going after his opponent, uh, which was at the top of your ticket for the Republican side of, of things in Virginia, with the uh, accusations of racism. Now it turns out that Northam has a racist past. What do you make of this, Bishop? Well, I, I, am, I may be the one
2: person in the Commonwealth of Virginia who is not surprised, although anybody who was following our race closely saw that and was shocked that the mainstream media absolutely dismissed it. And we know that had it been a white conservative refusing to shake the hand of a black liberal, uh, it would have been front page news the very next day. and It would have been a major scandal. Uh, but I'm not surprised because, look, I was on the campaign trail with the man that saw him and had to interact with him many times. And I was told, well, oh, he's a nice guy. He's a he's a southern gentleman. Uh, he is the only person that I've ever run against who I found treated me with contempt. And I had never said anything personal. I don't do that. I don't attack people personally. We, we kept it strictly on policy. But when he refused to shake my hand for the first time on the, uh, ever running for any office, I thought, you know what? I'm dealing with a bona fide racist, and this man does not want me to touch him. And uh, and so this came out, and I thought, yep, exactly what I suspected. And, uh, and now the tickets have come home to roost.
1: Here, here you are. You're talking about this incident that occurred after debate. Uh, you're a well-known politician of the state of Virginia. You're also a former Marine Corps veteran, and and a, and a black American who is trying to represent his state, his community, and and his fellow Americans. And this guy won't shake your hand. You rightly point out that if you just changed a little bit here in terms of political affiliation, it's a big story. Did the Virginia, never mind the national press, pay much attention to all the fact this guy wouldn't even shake your hand?
2: They paid virtually no attention to it whatsoever. I mean, I had a lot of Republicans and conservatives ask me, what was that about? Why would he not shake your hand? And, I mean, if not, if people have seen the tape, they can get it on, if they haven't seen it, they can get it on YouTube. All they got to do is Google Northam versus Jackson and handshake or something like that. But I reached out, and he did not even acknowledge my presence. And so then I tapped him on his arm to see me, And when I did, he absolutely acted as if I was not there. Even at the end of the debate, he never looked at me and smiled or acknowledged me in any way. So, yeah, it it was definitely a a really despicable way of behaving, and I'd never seen anybody do anything like that on the campaign trail.
1: And isn't it fair to say that the, the way that Northam ran against Gillespie uh, who is a well-known guy in, in Republican circles. And I, look, I know a lot of people that, that know Ed, and they all say he's also just a really, a really nice guy and a good guy. And they Northam's campaign trashed him as a racist. Well, oh, I, I know Ed, too.
2: I can attest to that. Ed is a nice guy. Northam portrayed him as a racist, basically a child predator who was out hunting down kids in a pickup truck with a Confederate flag on the back and has minority kids running in panic that this man is out to get them. And this is how he depicted Ed Gillespie as a racist child predator. I mean, it was so despicable that I, when it, I just thought, you know, that is beneath contempt. Uh, and he'll say, oh, well, that wasn't really me, but he didn't denounce it either. He didn't say there's no place for that kind of, uh, rhetoric or communications in politics. He, he was happy to endorse it. Uh, with his silence, if not with his approval. So, yeah, I, I don't even want to hear it. This, this guy, to me, and, you know, and the thing is, to me, this represents the, the dirty little secret of the Democrat Party, which is they use race to try to smear Republicans and smear conservatives and to manipulate black people. But behind the scenes, the very thing they're accusing others of is the very thing that they themselves are guilty of.
1: We're speaking to Bishop uh, Earl Walker Jackson, who is a politician. He was the lieutenant governor uh, on the lieutenant governor ticket, rather, running with Ed Gillespie against Northam and also against the current lieutenant governor of Virginia, Justin Fairfax, who has also gotten into some uh, hot water in the last couple of days. So so I want to ask you, Bishop, you know, here we have an allegation of sexual assault from from a while ago, about 15 years ago, I believe. Washington Post says that they were approached with this and they refused to run it because they couldn't verify it. Now, that's the same Washington Post that ran with a lot of stories about Brett Kavanaugh. I want to know what you think about this allegation. How should we how should the people of Virginia and and, and across the country gauge this uh, allegation against Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax, also a Democrat, African-American at the bottom of the ticket with uh, with Northam? What do you think we should do about this, Lieutenant Governor?
2: Well, first of all, I don't want to make this about me, but just to point out the double standard, when they were investigating me, and they did extensively when I was running against Ralph Northam, they ran bad stories and speculated, well, we can't verify all of this, but we think you all ought to know because we think the man is a liar. We think there's something wrong with him. So so this this mindset that they have, I mean, I say that they've investigated Ralph Northam at the depth to which they investigated me he would have never have been elected i would have been elected lieutenant governor i believe that but nevertheless yeah the look, democrats are are great at hypocrisy i don't know whether these allegations are true or not true but there is a pattern within the democrat party for doing the very things that they accuse others of doing in order to further their own political agenda and 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 and, and quest for power so we'll see what this all proves to be. I don't want to come to a conclusion yet, but it would not surprise me because if Democrats are expert at anything, if liberals are expert at anything, it is hypocrisy.
1: Can I ask you, can I ask you, Bishop, what kind of, for, for the folks listening across the country, what kind of media hostility and what kind of oppo research from the media and from groups that are hired specifically to, to do oppo research, what kind of stuff were you up against running for lieutenant, um, African-American Republican, would-be lieutenant governor of the state of Virginia.
2: And, and look, I, I say all the time, I, I owe my country a great deal. I love this country, and so I don't pat myself on the back like, you know, I'm some great somebody. But 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 I started as a foster child. I grew up in, in poverty, and what the Washington Post did, what the, what the mainstream media did, they never gave me any credit for having gone from that to Harvard Law School, having practiced law, having nothing. They went and investigated my background. They tried to prove that my so-called foster care uh, was a middle-class home, that it really did have an indoor bathroom, and it did not. It was not a middle-class home. They tried to prove that I hadn't gone to Harvard Divinity School. Uh, They tried to prove that I'd never been a chaplain for the Red Sox. They went about their business trying to disprove my background to show that I was not sort of a Horatio Alger story, somebody who started from nothing and had made something of himself. They were trying to tear me down at every turn. That's what I faced. You know what Ralph Northam faced? He faced puff pieces that, uh, about how great he was and oh, the compassion and he's a great pediatrician. They didn't talk about his radical views on abortion. They didn't, they didn't say anything about this stuff that I believe they probably knew. Damn, I just don't believe that if they could investigate me that way, they either knew or they simply chose not to know uh, what Ralph Northam had really been and what he really was.
1: Bishop Jackson, before we let you go, should Ralph Northam resign?
2: Yes, absolutely, he'd resign. Look, we're not going to get any bargain, uh in Justin Fairfax by any stretch of the imagination. He's got his own problems. He's he's another race baiter, as far as I'm concerned. I've, I saw him do it in the LG campaign against. Uh, Joe Vogel accused her of racism because she questioned his experience. Well, that's, you know, I mean, that's a fair question. Do you have the experience to be the the head of the the, the state Senate and, and so forth? But, he, oh, that was a racial play. So, but you know what? Ralph Northam doesn't deserve to be to sit in the seat that Patrick Henry and Thomas Jefferson and so many other illustrious leaders have set in. Uh, he needs to go.
1: All right. Bishop, we really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you. God bless. Two very different instant replays. Instant replays during Big Game Sunday. And that instant replay you just got on your smartphone of someone encroaching in around your home? Well, Blink cameras are the ultimate goal line defense. They're motion activated. When your Blink camera detects something suspicious, you get an alert on your smartphone with a video replay of what Blink spotted. And now you can save 20% on all camera systems during Blink's Big Game sale. Blink cameras are easy to set up. They're wire-free and run on two AA lithium batteries that can last up to two years. And Blink's live feed option lets you monitor your home from anywhere using the Blink smartphone app. No contracts, no subscriptions, and Blink works with Alexa. Let Blink help watch your home while you're watching the big game. Save 20% on indoor and outdoor systems and add-on cameras now through Monday, February 4th, 9 p.m. Pacific time. Visit BlinkProtect.com Defense. BlinkProtect.com slash defense. BlinkProtect.com slash defense.
2: The allegation is completely false, uh, as was indicated uh, in our statement. And uh, if you read through the story, you'll see it's uh, completely uncorroborated. Uh, And the fact that they would run a story on an uncorroborated allegation uh, from now 15 years ago uh, tells you exactly uh, what this smear is all about. The story, because it was not credible, because it was uncorroborated, Uh, and what we know is that it's false uh, and defamatory. And so uh, this person then went into hiding and uh, laid low in the weeds. To have someone uh, manipulate uh, the press and and come out a year ago, uh, fail at getting that into the media, uh, then go away. And then when they think they have an opportunity uh, at maximum uh, media uh, attention point uh, to come back again with the same uh, false, uncorroborated allegation, tells you everything you need to know about the falsity of it, uh, about, uh, you know, the the, the person uh, who is making the
1: allegation and and also about the environment that we're in. What a week for Virginia politics, pretty crazy stuff going on here. Okay, uh, you know, you have Northam, his, his governorship on, on life support. I think he thinks, and he may even manage to make it through, but you have to add into that now that you have uh, Lieutenant Governor Fairfax, who would be the man to be elevated to the governorship, if Northam did in fact have to resign, which you've had, uh, I think Pelosi and Schumer and a lot of big Democrats uh, saying he resigns, he, he should resign, because they know that this is too. This is a liability for the Democrats. It's too big of a liability. They can't explain this one away. They don't have a means of making it anything other than obvious that there's a double standard in play here. So they're willing, I think, to to let Northam get sacrificed. But Northam and the Democrats and the far left pro-abortion progressives, they're fighting to the very last here. But now you have Fairfax, who was accused of a sexual assault. Now, he says it was consensual. This, This is a classic. He said she said situation from what we have so far. We don't have that much information To go on here, Uh, what we have is that this website, the same one that initially posted the Northam photo, Big League Politics, uh, ran an update that, quote, Stanford fellow hints at possible Justin Fairfax sex assault. And this is the same. This is the uh, the same site that broke the Northam story, which is, is clearly true. I mean, Northam. Northam had racist racist crap on his face. I mean, not his Facebook on his yearbook page, and now is just telling lies in a desperate attempt to to hold to keep his job. Okay, Northam's a liar, and it's pathetic. But that that same website now has put out this other story. Now this is very interesting because I would generally want to take the position of we we should wait for there to be evidence. We shouldn't. We shouldn't. Um, take action against people without proof, and they should have an ability to respond to charges, both criminally and in the the so-called court of public opinion. I don't like that phrase even because public opinion is not a court, but he should be able to respond to this. And here's my problem. The Washington Post knew about this allegation of a sexual assault. It sounds like I mean, you know, sexual assault is a broad enough term. It could be a rape. I don't know, but certainly some form of sexual assault. Washington Post knew about this a year ago, did not run it, didn't go with the story presented to them. A woman named on the record said this happened. They didn't want to run it. They said it's uncorroborated. And I can't help but look at this story and say, where was that streak of caution and journalistic integrity? From every major newspaper in the on the East Coast and really across the country except for The Wall Street Journal when it came to Brett Kavanaugh, uncorroborated just bizarre incredible in the sense of hard to believe allegation after allegation with information contradicting or contravening the stories presented and the Washington Post had not an iota of the skepticism shown during the Kavanaugh hearings as they did obviously when it came to Fairfax and a Democrat as an African American Democrat as Lieutenant Governor of Virginia. So this is the problem I have. We see this once again with Northam, the standard that the left has created for conservatives, for Republicans, is doesn't matter how old it is Racist stuff gets you fired. Racist stuff gets you kicked out of public life. Do I think that's a good standard? No. But do we have any prayer of changing that standard without the left having to live under it too? I don't think so. So Northam's got to go. Now you also have a standard set up during the Kavanaugh debacle when the left was trying so desperately to destroy him. The standard was uh, women have a right to be believed. The standard was an allegation is enough to destroy someone's career, to stop them from holding a job and to ruin their life. That was the standard the left was operating under. Now, because Avenatti is a clown and because the third accuser against Kavanaugh was was clearly a liar, a vicious, evil, deranged Liar. It didn't work. But the standard the press was operating under at the time was the allegation is enough. Women have a right to be believed. So if we're going to take the the same approach with Northam, which is that we have to make the left live under its own rules, as we do with Fairfax. Why should the media get a pass for bearing this story? Why was this never reported? Woman accuses politician of. They're not saying it happened. They're saying there's a woman who's making the accusation. How is that not a news story? This is how the left cheats. This is how the media helps Democrats win. We are seeing it in more than one major instance. Do not forget it. And we shouldn't get to a place where there are people yelling from the rafters that because you have been successful, you are a bad person and we're going to be punitive to you. That's, that's, to me, the antithesis of the spirit of the country. I agree with Schultz, the former CEO of Starbucks. And I have found this whole circumstance of Schultz getting just piled on by Democrats uh, very illuminating with regard to the direction and trajectory of that party and how it feels about entrepreneurship and success and innovation. But I want to bring on somebody who actually does all those things, innovation, entrepreneurship, and success, and who also served his country in special operations. That's right. It is our friend, the founder and CEO of Black Rifle Coffee, Evan Hafer, is in the house. Evan, thanks for making the time for us.
0: Buck, man, it's great to talk to you. I haven't talked to you for too long.
1: Yeah, I know, man. I'm, I'm glad we get to catch up here. Off will have to catch up in person soon. Tell me what your thoughts are, man, as somebody who's running a rapidly growing, successful company, great American brand, obviously a partner here on the show, which we tremendously appreciate. But when you hear the demonization of success that's coming from very powerful quarters and very mainstream voices with regard to running a business and growing a business, what do you think about?
0: Well, I think there's a couple different things that we have to really – unpack, which is, you know, demonization of success, literally you have to define where does the success come from and how has the person been successful, right? And I think growing a business and when you have a a business, for instance, like Black Rifle Coffee or Coffee Company X, one, you have to work through a lot of complex problems in order to get to what anybody would define as success. And, not only succeeding, you can't just place a number on it and say, well, we've defined because we've made millions of dollars. Well, are we an ethical company that supports our community in a way, when I say this, like I promote American values. That's part of being a successful company is not only uh, having a successful transaction with my customers, but also I need a company that promotes American values, and constitutional beliefs, the fabric and DNA of this country. So I think when people demonize uh, Schultz, and I think for the wrong reasons, by the way, which is probably one of the only things we would agree on, uh, for success, this is this narrative where if you have wealth in this country, you're evil. And I think that's such a simplistic way to look at things. And I think the progressive millennial looks very much at wealth and success as evil, and they just want to demonize it.
1: Now, Evan, you're a special operations vet as people listen to the show and who know Black Rifle know from part of your story. So you're you're a guy who's used to getting told to do the the near impossible and to do it with limited stuff and with a smile. Right. Now you're in the private sector, though. If, for example, that to expand a little bit on the stuff that we're hearing, you know, what would happen to your business if if Ocasio-Cortez got to show up to Black Rifle Coffee and just said, you know what, Evan? I just think you should pay whatever you're paying your workers, just pay them double. Now, I know you treat your guys well, but what would happen if you just got a mandate from the government to just pay everybody double what you're paying them right now? What would that do to your business?
0: Oh, It would, ab- it would destroy the business because, uh, you know, and this is the progressive pipe dream from people that have little to zero experience building successful businesses and or working through uh, capitalism in order to, to, to achieve financial success is they think that because you have or you have made $1, that dollar goes right back into your bank account. They have no concept of reality when it comes to running a business and, you know, one, providing payment for services rendered and compensation for a fair job. So if you have a barista or somebody that's serving coffee, there's a wage out there that you can pay in order to, that's a fair wage based on market to get a qualified barista to come in and serve coffee. If you double that wage, just arbitrarily based on government uh, a government mandate that has zero uh, knowledge or complexity to how business is run, this is how you would literally collapse an entire economy within a category. So it would be the same thing if they were to increase a tax burden on the small business without... Fairly looking at how to adjust or comprehend what's called the P&L, right? There's just no way a government, uh, when I say this, a government elected official with zero business experience has the ability to look at salary or compensation and make an arbitrary decision. They, that would be a catastrophe. It would be a nightmare. What I call a dumpster fire.
1: Evan Hafer, CEO of Black Rifle Coffee. As you're listening, you listening, you better already be drinking Black Rifle. If you're not, though, you know where to go to get it, folks. Um, Evan, you know, to, to your point also about about taxes. I mean, we hear a lot from uh, from the the Democrats these days. They say the taxes only only went to the rich, but what what is a change in you know, you, you're dealing with operating expenses, you, you, with right. the reality of running a rapidly growing business, but a business that still has to deal with what is the cost of stuff. What are you paying stuff? Right. You know, the, the, the numbers matter. What does a uh, what, what does a drastic reduction in the corporate tax rate mean for, for example, Black Rifle?
0: Well, I I think people have this this, and I want to say people. And I think when I define you know, progressive millennials, have this idea that you're, when, once again, when we go back to this dollar where, hey, if you, if you pull a dollar in from a transaction, you just keep this dollar. And they think if you make 30 cents on that dollar, that just rolls back into your bank account. And then wealthy people just pile it up in big pools of gold and they jump off their diving boards into it. That's, that's just such a flawed interpretation of business. And it's such a naive perspective. What happens is if, the government takes less of, of, of our money. That money is reinvested into the company. So I get to hire more people because my ability to scale and grow a business also is is one of our missions and our mandates is to continue to to emancipate and provide opportunity for veterans. So I want to scale my business. I want to create more gross revenue because that means more jobs for veterans. So what I do is I take... The, the 10% difference if the government was to decrease my, my tax burden, I roll that back into my company in a way that makes the most value for the company and creates the greatest amount of impact for my mission, which is to employ and empower veterans.
1: And and by the way, you know, this is just a, a simplification or, or, or a, sum, a summation of what you just said would be, you know what to do with that dollar better than the government does.
0: <laughs> oh, absolutely. You know, This year we've been really fortunate uh, we've 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 given back into veteran and veteran entrepreneur causes, plus law enforcement causes to the tune of about four hundred thousand dollars this year, uh, which is three times as much as I gave back last year. Which is also uh, when I when I say this, we've every year we've been able to give back more than I've ever taken out of the company, like individually. And I think that's a huge. Uh, when, when I say that, for the company to be able to do that, that's one of our charters. And I know what to do because I'm an ethical steward of my customer's dollar. I know what to do with that dollar. I also know great nonprofits where people put their money to work.
1: Evan, hey for everybody. CEO of Black Rifle Coffee, obviously one of our favorite sponsors here on the show, uh, but also a company that's doing great stuff and somebody who's on the front lines of growing a great American brand. So when we talk about what What is the reality of wages and taxes and, and policies that either can be pro-growth and capitalistic or trending toward the AOC socialistic side? we got somebody who can actually talk to us about what that means like day to day. Evan, tell your guys I'm coming down to San Antonio sometime to shoot some guns and drink some coffee, all right?
0: Man, you've got to get down here, Buck. We miss you, man. You, uh, you're welcome. Anytime you know where the guns and the coffee are,
1: they're always a Black Rifle
0: coffee.
1: I'm into it, my friend. I'll be talking to you soon. Thanks so much for joining us. Evan, hey, for a Black Rifle. So I don't have to tell you that the Super Bowl is boring. You, you probably watched it and realized, yes, the, the right team won. The Patriots were the better team, No question. But the Super Bowl is an experience in terms of it brings people together. I watch it with my family, Miss Molly. We had a great time, ate a lot of delicious barbecue. We had a lot of fun. Okay. And and this is also where I know if I start talking sports, you're going to say, Buck, you talking about uh, football and trying to analyze it in any serious way is like listening to an Eskimo talk about how to, you know, surf. Um, You know, uh, it's just not really part of the part of the equation. Um, that all said, the ads and the politics of the ads, I I found so many of the ads to be, uh, smarmy, a little weirdly condescending, trying way too hard. I mean, that Andy Warhol ad for, I guess it was, was it Burger King was just garbage, just was not good. Wasn't a good ad. Um, there were many ads that were not good ads, but the worst Dumpster fire of all in terms of the ads that were running during the Super Bowl, in my opinion, which I guess I always share with you on the show, is uh, is the Washington Post ad. That, remember, the Washington Post has got, got a sugar daddy with the owner and CEO of Amazon, Jeff Bezos, uh, who funds the Washington Post now. So whether the Washington Post is even a successful venture or not, it's it's hard to say because so much of what the Washington Post does uh, is going to be subsidized in some way by its association with Jeff Bezos. And there's a lot of ways to hide stuff on the books. But journalists are obsessed with themselves. And, and people who say to me, well, Buck, you're a journalist. I, I do not claim to be a journalist. I'm not a journalist. And I view my role as, as actually uh, kicking out from under them this phony, this phony foundation of, Journalists are the firefighters of democracy. Journalists are these incredible, brave truth tellers. No, journalists are very much like Hollywood actors. It's a big industry. There's a lot of money in it, but it's full of incredibly vain, venal, self-loving, self-interested, thin-skinned, bad people. There are there are a lot of bad people in this industry. You know, this is I'll say the same thing about Hollywood, but that doesn't mean, you know, I think, you know, Jimmy Woods for example is a great actor and a hilarious political commentary uh guy. Uh, I think there are other, you know, there are other actors. I mean, just because I make fun of Hollywood doesn't mean I'm not going to give all props and respect to Gary Sinise for all the very real work that he does helping veterans and and recognizing that he's also a successful actor but a guy who puts his money where his mouth is, you know. I mean, so you can criticize an industry; it doesn't mean you're indicting everybody in it. Journalists are terrible. Journalists are very annoying, bad people for the most part. They have a skill set that's not in any way unique, and there's a lot of just sucking up and trying to make the right friend group, and they just sort of go from there. Uh, that's why this Washington Post ad was just almost too much to stomach. I mean, it, it was it was an appalling exercise. In self-licking ice cream cone, five million dollars worth. How many unemployed BuzzFeed writers? How many unemployed HuffPost bloggers could you pick up for five million dollars for a sixty-second ad? Here's the. Let's just listen to this, just pompous, stupid ad. Play twenty-four.
3: When we go off to war. When we exercise our rights. When we soar to our greatest heights. When we mourn and pray. When our neighbors are at risk. When our nation is threatened. There's someone to gather the facts. To bring you the story. No matter the cost, because knowing empowers us. Knowing helps us decide. Knowing keeps us free.
1: We don't need journalists for any of that. We don't. Information now travels with such. Frequency with with in such a volume, the idea that we have to have these gatekeepers to provide this kind of information. I mean, you're sure you need some people to be, but there'll always be people that are sharing this information one way or another. We do not need a professional class of journalists so that we are an informed democracy. We have plenty of ways of getting information from whether it's uh, citizen journalists or. You know, this idea that we have to have all these people, there's a lot of great local journalism that's done. We don't need the Washington Post to exist, folks. This this is really what it comes down to. We don't actually need this class to be in place to try to tell us what the truth is, because they lie, because they're biased, because they're self-interested in this whole process in a way they refuse to accept. And just a few things, you know, when they, they had the whole uh, opportunity to tell us about the threats that face us, and they could have picked. They could have picked 9/11 to show us something. You know, from 9/11. But you know what they picked? That's right, Oklahoma City. The the favorite terrorist attack of the progressive left because it's the terrorist attack that they point you to, to say, see, the threat from mean white nationalists is just as bad as the threat from radical Islam. They play this game all the time. It's pathetic. It's so weird. No normal person would ever think that this is the case, but they will do it they They did it in this ad, and there's just a lot of a lot of stuff that you see from their own little montage here where you say to yourself, "Well, hold on a minute why Why do we need to support media organizations, I would note that have been around for a long time? What does that really mean? That's just a perception issue, right? If we were to look at the way the media has operated over time, you'd say to yourself, shouldn't some of the really old newspapers since newspapers are going away and it's all online and digital now, shouldn't they give way to other organizations? Isn't it the natural order of things that the New York times, which was about to go under, but was saved by Carlos Slim. Oh, that's right. And they had a remarkable turn toward open borders editorializing all of a sudden The New York Times went from caring about the uh, the African-American and white working class and the downward pressure on wages from mass illegal immigration to there's no problem with that at all. We're a melting pot. Immigrants do the jobs. Americans won't do. Right around when Carlos Slim took a huge stake in and effectively saved the New York Times. Look at The Washington Post with Jeff Bezos. What does the Washington Post turn into without Bezos's infusion of cash? And also, why do we like to tell ourselves or why do journalists like to constantly tell us that they are independent when we know that they have their bread getting buttered from certain people with certain kinds of ideologies? It's just, the whole thing was just pathetic. We don't need journalists to tell us how great they are. Apparently, they they need to tell themselves how great they are, though, in a Super Bowl ad. By now, most of us have started racking our brains. What do we do about Valentine's Day? What's going to make it a truly special day for her? With 1-800-Flowers.com, it's really not complicated. Roses from 1-800-Flowers are a no-brainer. And right now, when you order early, you can get the 18-stem Enchanted Rose Medley for $29.99 or double it to the 36-stem Enchanted Roses for $20 more. This is an unbelievable offer from 1-800-Flowers. The 18-stem Enchanted Rose Medley for $29.99 Or double the roses for $20 more. Look, I have already gotten one beautiful bouquet of roses for Miss Molly. She absolutely loves them. And by the way, they're so easy to order. And once you see your loved one's reaction, you're going to be like, this is worth every second, every penny, and then some you need to check out 1-800-Flowers.com. Okay, to order the 18-stem Enchanted Rose Medley for $29.99 or Double the Roses for 20 bucks more, go to 1-800-Flowers.com, click the radio icon, enter promo code BUCK. Order today and save at 1-800-Flowers.com, radio icon, promo code BUCK.
0: Just because there's been a lot of stuff that has been said about me that's absolutely not true. There's just a couple of points that I wanted to make really quick. Just because it's uh, four points. I was bruised, but my ribs were not cracked. Okay. They were not broken. Okay. I went to the doctor immediately. Frank Gatson drove me. I was not hospitalized. Okay. Okay. Both of my doctors in LA and Chicago cleared me to perform, but said to take care, obviously.
1: And above all, I fought the back. <laughs> Jussie Smollett, or Smollett, is. Now becoming a household name because of this story that has been getting a lot of media attention that he as a he is a an actor. He's in the show Empire and is African-American and is gay. And he claims that he was attacked by two redneck MAGA hat wearing racists. The claim was that there and the story has been shifting here and there, of course. But the claim is that these two guys came up to him uh, and, and attacked him, sprayed some chemical on his face and then put a noose around his neck. I mean, didn't tighten it and try to actually strangle him, but put a noose around his neck in a hate crime attack. The president heard about this. He said, sounds horrible. It's the most horrible thing. Everyone's saying it's a horrible thing. So let me preface this by saying. If somehow this were true, then, of course, it is a terrible thing assaulting anybody on the street, assaulting anybody in the street because you don't like the way they look or you don't like what their ethnicity is or, or because you are you know anti-gay. Any of these things, disgusting, disgraceful conduct that should be punished to the fullest extent of the law. Let's just put that out there. OK, now let's look at the details of this case that was Jussie Smollett gave a performance this weekend. You could tell people are all, oh, he's he's some kind of a, a hero now. And he said he fought back. Well, so far, there have been a few problems with this whole narrative. For one, he wore the noose, this rope around his neck and wore it when he went home. And there was another person present when he called the police when he went home. Now, if somebody put a noose around your neck, I understand wanting to keep it for evidentiary purposes, but you're just going to keep wearing it. Again, I'm not saying it disqualifies the story, but it raises questions. Also, that two guys would, in Chicago, be carrying a noose on them, and then they happen to find this African-American gay actor on the street, and then threw a noose around his neck and and gently bruised his face and threw some weird chemical on him as yet undescribed or unknown and yelled, this is MAGA country, strikes me as a very implausible thing. Implausible does not mean impossible. It just means implausible. Now let's add to that. Police... Asked for access to his phone with his manager during the 60 second window. It's only a 60 second window where he claims he was attacked and all this happened when he happens to be away, surprise, from surveillance cameras. By the way, the two people identified as subjects of interest in the surveillance cameras already, it has since been shown that they are local, uh, they are local vagrants and not considered to be suspects in this attack. So yet another thing to cross off the list. But Smollett claimed that he was on the phone with his manager at the time of the attack. And so police wanted to know if they could look at his phone and see if maybe this, you know, there was some corroborating infor- information. And he said, no, you you can't have access to my phone. Now, I know people are rushing in to say, what if he has, uh, you know, naughty pictures on there or, you know, civil liberties and blah, blah. OK, but. You know, he's not a suspect. He is a victim and a complainant here, right? He's the one who is saying he was attacked. Usually when someone is the victim, they don't say, oh, no, you can't you can't come into my home and look for evidence, get a warrant. Well, if you're saying somebody burglarized your home and the cops want to take evidence, don't you let them in? I think that that's the People say, oh, Buck, would you tell people... Because I got some heat, including from some journos over the weekend. Would you tell some people that the Mueller probe should just have access to their phone? First of all, the Mueller probe already has whatever communications they've done if they want. And second of all, no, because they're suspects. They're targets of the probe. When you're the victim of something, you have to share the information necessary to try to get the bad guys, right? So that's highly suspect to me. Now, let me tell you what I think the possibilities are here based on the evidence so far. Um, there, there I, I see there are three possibilities. One is that this bizarre but hateful attack really happened and all this stuff. I give that a one in a hundred shot right now. I'm not saying zero. One in a hundred. It would be the shock of of my, you know, of my decade if this were true. Maybe. Highly unlikely, though another possibility. This is completely fabricated. He made this whole thing up for attention and it's effectively a very, uh, a very easy way to raise his national profile, turn him into some kind of a hero. And even if he gets caught, remember, all he has to do is say, well, I was raising awareness about a real problem. And as sure as, you know, night follows day, the media will come out and say, well, maybe he lied, but he did it for a good reason. So he's still a hero, even though he lied. That The media has done this before with hate crime hoaxes, just raising awareness. But I want to put out there a third possibility, because this one I, I, this one I see as being a little even, maybe a little more likely. Maybe he did have some little scuffle on the street. Maybe he exchanged words with some people, and maybe they didn't like the way he looked or something else, but maybe there was just some quick exchange. And then he decided to add all these other details on top of it, knowing that as long as there was some basis for this, he was on pretty solid ground reporting it to the police. Maybe he did get, you know, someone did smack him in the face or something because he exchanged words with them. But it was an opportunity to tell this whole story about MAGA oppression and the bad Trump people and MAGA hats and all this, and he just took it. So it's essentially taking a kernel of truth and making this whole, this whole creative and very useful story up from that about Trump and the attack, or rather the Trump supporters and the attack and all the rest of it. That's how I see this. But this whole thing is crumbling with every passing day. The evidence is pointing more and more toward fabrication. We will have to see. We will have to see what comes out of it. But I'm not going to let this one slide because I despise hate crime hoaxes and the media lets it go time and again, because they're all rooting for it and they all go along with it. So I'm going to follow up on the story. And if I'm wrong, I will eat humble pie here on the show, too, if this really happened. But I don't think I'm eating any pie anytime soon. I'm sure you got big plans for your business in 2019. If you're working in an HR department or if you're just running a company and you need to make sure you're bringing in the right kind of personnel You need to work with Global Verification Network. They're the only dual certified and veteran owned background investigation and vetting company. So even if you've already got a contract or a vendor, somebody you work with on this one, just give Global Verification Network a call and say, hey, look, this is what we're looking for. Here are our needs. Here's the size of the company. The problem set. You will not do any better for price, for customer service, and for the accuracy and discretion of these investigations. Check them out for yourself. Go to MyGVN.com. Again, that's MyGVN.com. Or call 877-695-1179. That's 877-695-1179. MyGVN.com. Global Verification Network. Leave no stone unturned. How stupid can cultural appropriation get? It's not, not an easy question to answer. Because cultural appropriation starts off being stupid. It is an idiotic idea. It does not make any sense. All culture relies on appropriation, and no one really has a claim to any culture. It's just like saying someone has a claim to uh, a, a taste or a color scheme or, you know, you name it. It simply is idiocy to claim that there is such a thing as cultural appropriation. And yet, sure enough, we find ourselves in a circumstance where there are uh, people who not only think that cultural appropriation is real, but are willing to be complete maniacs about it. Lots of stories that we could point to on this one, but I just want to start with or, or, or dive into this topic with the following Portland, Oregon. Portland, Oregon is a town that I remember spending a weekend in, and I love the food vibe there. Uh, they have these pods where you drive to what's essentially a parking lot or a, an area of town where there's just food truck after food truck. And they really help popularize at a, a national level the whole food truck concept where you have not just one food truck maybe outside your place of work, but a whole bunch of them. And it creates a kind of makeshift, on-the-move food court. It's a cool idea. And when it's done well, it's really pretty fun. And it's one of those little things about Portland culture that's spread across the country that's, uh, you know, high-five Portland. But our friend Andy No, who writes for uh, Quillette and has also done some other pieces in the Wall Street Journal, he's the one who goes up and asks Antifa, hey, Why are you Antifa? And when they answer, you have to think to yourself, oh, these people are maniacs. That's good to know. And he writes about how insane things are in his hometown when it comes to food. For example, a woman named Sally Krantz opened up a bistro called Saffron Colonial that featured historical recipes from the British Empire. The social justice left said this was racist and was glorifying colonialism. And they just piled on with all the negative reviews and said, don't go to this place and threaten boycotts. Her suppliers ended up even boycotting her. And she had to change the name of the restaurant to the British Overseas Restaurant Corporation. So there are some others here. Uh, in 2017, you had uh, Kali Wilgus and Liz Connolly who were told that they were stealing Mexican culture because they were selling burritos from a truck. That's right, folks. If you are not Mexican, the social justice left thinks you should not be able to sell burritos from a truck. Now, if we're going to go down this path of stupidity, I would want to know what the rules are for the sandwich, named for the Earl of Sandwich, a British dude. Does that mean that no one is allowed to sell sandwiches? In fact, should we all walk into any Subway sandwich shop where there's not a British person or an Anglo-Saxon person selling them and say, you are appropriating our culture? Why is it only a one-way thing here, where it's only non-white cultures get this special protection where people who are themselves white aren't allowed to, quote, appropriate it? You notice how it doesn't go in the other direction. This is only a one-way thing somehow. At least that's the way the social justice left. Because if they say it's all about oppression and oppression rhetoric and all this other stuff. This is how they view it. Then there was, again, this is Andy No. He's, he's doing great work these days going after the social justice loons. And this is all in this Wall Street Journal piece. He writes, an anonymous Google spreadsheet began circulating warning about restaurants that served ethnic cuisine. Quote, These white-owned businesses hamper the ability for people of color to run successful businesses of their own by either consuming market share with their attempt at authenticity or by modifying foods to market to white palates. That's right. End quote. Okay, you've got people that are spreading around that if a white person sells food that is not American food, They're boxing other people out of the food selling market. I mean, this is just the level of stupidity, but also obvious hostility here is something that we shouldn't just skip over. Now it gets worse. Here you go. Last month, Lillian Green, an equity director at the State Education Department, entered Back to Eden, a vegan bakery, for a few minutes after closing time. She recorded videos accusing the bakery of refusing to serve her because she was black using the hashtag living while black miss green a doctoral student uh took to facebook to demand that back to eden fire the clerks the bakery apologized and issued a 3400 word apology and offered miss green a job training the remaining employees in quote in, in quote racial inclusivity this is the real doozy from this. I mean, the whole thing is just appalling. These people lost their jobs. They they were closed. How many times have any of you walked into an establishment right after closing time? And yeah, maybe you're frustrated because you know they could probably sell you that last donut or whatever. But how many times you walked in, they say, sorry, we're closed, we're going home. It's happened to me over a dozen times, at least. Probably a few dozen times over the course of my life. And I never thought it was anything other than these guys are paid or gals are paid by the hour they want to go home and i get it you know it's a little I, and i'm not gonna lie i've been a little annoyed sometimes when i'm like you can't give me the 30 seconds and make and make an extra few bucks but it's happened to me i don't make some big deal of it but uh lillian green the equity director who went right to facebook almost like she's learned these tactics and this was all planned went right to facebook and got people fired from their jobs that i'm sure they needed to pay their bills but this is the part of it that's really so interesting. Uh, they they said that they didn't even think that the employees were racist. They just sacrificed them. This you know look, it's a vegan bakery, as you can imagine like with the people who work in it, you're probably like, yeah, man, like diversity and inclusiveness, and like I don't want like to have a cookie unless I know like did the ingredients for the cookie like were they happy in life? Like were they like a happy cookie? They wrote, the bakery wrote, in this 3,400-word apology, the following, in this situation, it doesn't really matter that the two staff members working are not themselves racist because the call they made to deny Lillian service caused her to feel like she had been discriminated against. This is a co-owner of it, okay? He wrote, sometimes impact outweighs intent, and when that happens, people need to be held accountable, end quote. Okay, this is the left showing you what they really think and how they really operate. This is the left saying, you know what, even though we know that they weren't being racist and we don't think that our employees were being racist because somebody felt that they were being racist, we have to punish the people who didn't do anything wrong and think they were doing anything wrong because of the hurt feelings of the person who felt that there was racism. This is nuts. This is crazy. And there's case after case of this, these excesses from people who are very clearly trying to capitalize on the victimology that is so pervasive on the left. You know, we're all starting to have enough of this. I know I've had enough of this. I don't really want to keep having to read stories about people that are acting in bad faith, that have a huge chip on their shoulder about something, and that have real—that will— Meet out real consequences to people because of this. The social justice left is insane. We have to fight against them. And we have to stamp their lunacy out of our culture. There is no such thing as cultural appropriation. It is not a concept that exists. Culture is to be shared and mixed and spread and adopted by any human being who wants to. That's the reality, and we are so far away from that right now, and this is not a fight that we should give up because culture is one of those things that should be free-flowing and people should be able to choose what they want and what they don't want, but it also is something that allows us all the freedom to choose, and it brings us together when we do choose. Food, manners of dress, stories from history, whatever it may be. Culture is a very important part of maintaining our society and the openness of our society and therefore the openness to various cultures is a central part of it. It is a hallmark of America that we are a place with so many different cultures that are welcomed and, yes, that are taken by people who want them. I'm starting to worry that some of the largest American cities are going to start to, to Really feel the full brunt of the left-wing stupidity that has been inflicted on them. You got to you got to keep in mind, you know, it, it's hard to mess up some of these cities. You've had such a huge decrease in crime nationwide, right? And there are a few cities that are outliers here, but you've had this massive drop in, in crime rates in places like New York and 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 across the country. You know, Chicago, Baltimore, some outliers to be sure. But overall, violence, crime is way down from what it was 30, 30 or so years ago or even uh, 20 years ago. And I just am starting to see these stories that, to me, look like the canaries in the coal mine of general urban decay. I mean, it's tough to beat in terms of, you know, warning signs that a city is not being well run. It's, it's tough to see something like this and not think, oh, gosh, this is only going to get worse a typhus epidemic in Los Angeles, okay? Typhus is an infectious disease that is now uh, making its way through, particularly the homeless population, but it's a disease that gives you incredibly high fever, terrible pain, headaches, uh, and it's really, really rough if you catch it. Now, they are able to treat this, but it's one of these diseases that Similar to the bubonic plague or the Black Death back in the day, it travels on the fleas that live on rats. Well, you might say, why would we have in Los Angeles a typhus outbreak, which is a disease that's really generally uh, associated with extreme deprivation and poverty and uh, and trash? And you know how I feel about trash. You know everything you need to know about a society's wealth and And its level of order and obviously its cleanliness based upon how it deals with and what its trash situation is. Trash, sewage, the very basics of of civil society in a modern country these days. Um, But they're having this outbreak of typhus in Los Angeles. It's from the fleas on the rats. The rats make their way around the human population because of these tent cities you have you and by the way you know you had 124 cases last year in la county but that's 124 cases they found you probably have a few times that in cases that they haven't found yet or in cases that were misdiagnosed or people just you know d- didn't necessarily get it uh, dealt with the way they should have um but the mayor is now putting millions of dollars together to, to clean up the streets because the rats live on the trash in the streets People live in the streets in large numbers in these tent cities in L.A. now. You know, the the way that L.A. deals with its homelessness crisis is obviously n- not sufficient. And the way that it's cleaning up the trash on its streets is not sufficient. You know, they call an area of downtown L.A. now the typhus zone. This is the second biggest city in the country. And for those of you who are like, hey, eh, you know, it doesn't really it doesn't affect me. You're starting to see diseases popping back up that had been eradicated You're seeing diseases at the southern border coming in with people who have serious health needs, have no vaccination history whatsoever. And, you know, then you're seeing measles outbreaks occurring. People are moving away from vaccination, even of diseases that have a very, very high cure rate because or prevention rate because of vaccination. You know, this is this is sketchy stuff. And I can talk to you about what I think is going on in New York, too, after having been there over the weekend and. Just, you know, it takes a while to see how liberal policy is destructive and how it is eventually always doomed to run the same cycle of failure. But I I think that we're just beginning to really see it happening in places like L.A., San Francisco, where they have the poop patrol to pick up human feces on the streets. You know, this this is where we need somebody to come in who's who's really about law and order and cleanliness is a part of that.
0: The show ain't over yet, folks. It's time for Roll Call.
1: Roll Call. Recall the Roll Call. It's the most exciting Roll Call sound you'll ever hear, I think. It's a decent possibility, at least. All right, maybe not. Maybe it's just the weirdest, but I believe I have your attention. And it was more clever than most of the... Super Bowl commercials that we were forced to sit through over the weekend. My gosh, where were the clever commercials? Only Microsoft for me. I didn't see all of them to be fair. I was with my family and Miss Molly, so we weren't watching every single one of them. But the Microsoft one really was very warm and heartfelt. I like that one. There are a couple others that were okay. Um, actually there was a food, a frozen food commercial. I forget what the name of the frozen food was, but it was really, it was really good. Uh And I'm a big frozen food person, by the way. People say, oh, that means you must not like. No, it means that I know what good frozen food to get. All right. Into your thoughts via the roll call session. Joe writes, viva la dubstep. Let's do this team. Well, Joe, I agree with you. Dubstep can be kind of fun. In fact, Maddie Dupler, who's a longtime friend of mine from Media World, I, I have always had different names for her because we've just gotten along very well and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan. Uh, and I used to call her Doubles um, and now I call her Dubstep. And she is okay with this because she agrees that Dubstep has its, or Dubstep rather, has its place. Uh, but yes, we will keep that roll call coming. We are working on new, they call it imaging, which is always so weird because it's not visual, it's audio. But we are working on some new imaging for the show. We are hoping that will be out relatively soon for your listening enjoyment brian that's right, buck hope you had a good week weekend was laughing at your and crystal's end of show chit chat on disney's frozen Ugh. with two young kids i share crystal sentiment keep up the great work on that show as it is as it is forcing real conversations to open liberals eyes as i am your age disney classics like beauty and the beast lion king and aladdin will always have a special place if you're looking for a really good new Disney movie to check out with Miss Molly, watch Coco. It's a special movie with a great message and music. Now that I've had to watch it 25 times and I'm still not sick of it, you will love it. Okay, Coco sounds kind of cool. Miss Molly will probably like that, so I will have to check it out. Although Crystal also did show me something called Baby Shark 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 Shark, Shark Baby Shark Shark Shark, Shark which... If you watch it, it's on YouTube. It has been watched, and I do not exaggerate, over two billion times. I assume that there are kids around the globe who sit around just watching Grandpa Shark, 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 Shark. I, I assume that that is happening based on the number of views. I, I cannot tell you strongly enough, unless you have no choice, because if your kids, do not watch the Baby Shark movie or YouTube video, whatever it is, because you will have Baby Shark stuck in your head. You will not be able to get rid of Baby Shark from your head. It'll just be Baby Shark, Shark, Shark. I'm telling you, I wake up in the middle of the night now and I can't stop. Baby Shark, Shark, Shark. It it, it won't stop. The sounds won't stop. Steve writes, Crazy Uncle remembers a grade school ditty. Whether it's cold or whether it's hot, we're going to have weather, weather or not. Today's Hillary Bernie AOC version is whether it's cold or whether it's hot, It's global warming, warmer or not. Steve, you definitely get the rhyming prize for today's edition of Roll Call, so thank you so much for that. Michael Buck, Northam said he didn't use much shoe polish on his face for Michael Jackson because it is hard to get off. Yes, the stench of racism is hard to get off, Michael. It's it's hard to imagine that this guy I mean, as we go to air, he still is the governor of Virginia. I don't I don't know how Democrats can think that anyone's going to take them seriously on any of their stuff. But maybe they just figure that embracing their hypocritical stances for purely weaponized political gain, right, to weaponize the standards that society is supposed to operate under for discourse, but to do it in a clearly and overtly partisan fashion. Maybe they're just embracing it. You know, they're going to lean in, if you will, to being these little progressive authoritarians who don't live by the rules they make the rest of us live by. I think that's what's going on. Chris writes, big fan here. I will try to be quick. Like you, the New York abortion bill troubles me greatly. I have not heard anyone on the right point out this fact. Most of my life, I listen to Democrats say how the Republicans are going to kill people with their policies. But the fact is they're the only ones that have killed anyone and all of the people, it is the ones who can't take it up for themselves. Will you please point this out on your podcast? Shields. Hi. Yeah, I I think, Chris, what you're getting at is something that I have heard conservatives make as a as a pitch before, which is to say that uh, the Democrats often talk about how how they are doing everything that they can to help life after birth. When I think it's fair to say that there's no good faith effort on their part to understand why we're trying to protect life up to the moment of birth. And we do not advocate for any policies that end innocent life after birth. So it is, in fact, the Democrats who are, look, the others have said other other major conservative figures have already said that Democrats are the party of death. And I think that that's a that's a tough one for them to argue around. Scott writes, hey, Buck, here's a challenge for uh, Ocasio-Cortez. Why don't you put it to the billionaire donors you supposedly hate and double down on your Green New Deal and legislate for banning private jetliners? Let's see how that goes over before you propose banning my automobile in 10 years. Shields forever high here up in New Hampshire. Scott. Yeah, Scott, the Green New Deal is going to collapse under its own obvious and imminent hypocrisy. So we, we don't. We know that's the case. We don't have to worry about the Green New Deal working from the perspective of what they promise it will be and all that, but the issue that we have to tackle is they'll always come up with the same old justification for why it's not working, which is that it's not implemented properly. What's the problem with communism? It's not implemented properly. What's the problem with the Green New Deal? It will not be implemented properly. These people do not learn. That is one of the defining characteristics of the contemporary progressive in America. They don't look back to history and say here's what worked, here's what didn't, here's what we know, here's what we wish were so. They just say give us power, let us make all the decisions, and we will make your pain go away. We will make everything better. There's a lot of history of government action that shows that that's a false promise. But unfortunately there's also a very deep-seated part of the mind, of any human's mind that wants to believe somebody who says, I will take away all of your pain, I will make everything better, just surrender your autonomy, surrender your own decision-making and your property and other things to me or to us, to the collective, to the collective good. That is the, the promise, the soma of progressivism. Karen writes... Nancy Pelosi says a border wall is immoral. I thought the Dems didn't believe in legislating morality. Boom. Karen, that's right. You're not backing down here. Letting it be known you will hold the Democrats to their words. Justin writes, hey, Buck, a few days behind, I want to tell you my hometown of Illinois, Moline, Illinois, was negative 33 on Thursday morning without wind chill." Love your show. Shields high. Well, Justin, I'm assuming you have not turned into a human popsicle. So I'm glad that you managed to brave those exceptionally cold temperatures. It certainly sounded like a rough time in some parts of the Midwest for folks. I I know that much. And uh, I'm just glad that it's passed. I mean, it's a beautiful day here in D.C. It's practically T-shirt weather. So I'm hoping that we're we're only in early February. I'm hoping we're through the worst of it. Jonathan writes, Buck, I'm an iHeart listener. Usually listen to yesterday's episode while you're live with today's. I have no problem listening to your past shows. Figure I'll let you guys know you can share this knowledge with the masses. OSS squad. Jonathan. Thank you, Jonathan. Shields high. P.S. I remember you griping on Kate Hudson a while back. Uh-oh. While I do agree with you on most of these points, I submit to you the movie Fool's Gold. It's a rom-com of sorts, pairing her up with Matthew McConaughey. Kevin Hart and Donald Sutherland round out the cast. It's worth a watch if you haven't already watched it. Don't take it seriously and you'll be entertained. Jonathan, I don't know, man. I, I am not a Kate Hudson fan. I really, I feel very strongly that it's always, everything I've ever seen her in is pretty much a waste of time. Um, but I like to pretend at least that I have an open mind about things. So let's just say that I will give it some thought. Scott, kicking up some noise here. I wanted to give you some perspective of a DOD worker. I've heard you say that federal workers are 90% liberal. That may mostly be true. However, I've been a DOD federal worker for 12 years. I want you to know the percentage I'd flip to 90% conservative. Could you imagine liberals making weapons of war for our war fighters? Ha, shields high, Scott. Scott, you're correct. When I say federal workers, I'm, I always, at least in my head, and I probably should be more... Uh, specific about this. I'm I'm talking about federal bureaucracy outside of uh, defense. Um, I'm talking about people outside of the military. The military I always categorize in a different part of, of my brain. Uh, and so that's, yes, you, you're right. The DOD has a much more conservative skew than, say, what you'll get in the general federal government. But I, I can tell you that, by and large, the federal government, uh, the civilians that run all these different agencies, they are... Super libs. Libs and libs and more libs. Uh, let's see who we have up next here. So many great things. Richard! that's Buck. Happy, happy hello from a Yankee man in a southern land. Check this out. If you look at the other designs from the others in the yearbook, the Northam yearbook, it's clear each person submitted the pictures they wanted in the yearbook. So he thought this was a good idea. He is so prideful it doesn't look like he will step down. How is it that this election, this didn't come out during the election? Shields high. You know, Richard, you know, you raise a very good point here, which is clearly the oppo research into Northam was not nearly as thorough as the oppo research into his opponent. And there was there were racial attacks on his opponent. I believe it was Ed Gillespie in the in the general election. And also there were some never Trumpers who are showing us more and more, not all of them, but some of them are showing us their true colors here by Openly advocating for Democrats and Democrat causes, just they just want to burn the the Republican Party down and start over again. I guess, uh, but there was there's always this disparity between the resources that you'll get when it comes to opposition against a Republican versus the resources you'll get against a Democrat. Because while there is a conservative media, there's not nearly the same depth and breadth of conservative media. We just don't have as many reporters. We don't have as many newsrooms. We don't have as much money. And all that stuff matters when it comes to oppo. So Democrats have a huge built-in advantage with all of that. And it allows them to uh, omit some pretty astonishing stuff in major, uh, major political contests. Team, that's going to be it from D.C. today, back from NYC, although it was lovely over the weekend. Have a fantastic rest of your evening or day, depending on when you listen. I will talk to you tomorrow. Shields high. Introducing a new conservative alternative to liberal-based email services, ipatriots.us. If you're concerned about your current email service, first of all, how secure is it, how private is it, and also... What is it doing with your information and what kind of agenda items is it pushing at the national level? Is it a really left wing liberal organization? Forget all that nonsense. iPatriots.us is what you want. It's secure and private, more what you want without the ads and the spam. It gives you 30 gigs of cloud storage and larger attachment size, just a better overall email experience. Plus, your email and files are safe with iPatriot's premium encryption and antivirus services. So this is what you should check out, folks. Show your patriot. Go to ipatriots.us now. New offer. Enter promo code BUCK. Sign up for month-to-month service today and get the first month free. You won't be charged until your second month of service at the specified month-to-month rate, and you can cancel any time. Input your desired iPatriot's email address during checkout.